um, you did not think you were going to come to church today, and I become a grandfather this week, and you don't see pictures. That's not happening, okay? So here he is. <laughs> he's got my, got my scalp, I think. You know, he's got <laughs> Oliver Waldo Nyer, eight pounds, four ounces, born on Friday, and I am one happy grandpa. Let me tell you that. And here's a, yeah, this is, a, clap again. Oh, I like it. There you go. And all the rumors of how great grandparenting is, it's true. It's all true. Grandparenting is good. Someone told me that if they knew it was this good, they would have skipped being parents and gone right on to grandparents. That's how good it is. So it's wonderful. I just thank you so much for your prayers. Jen and Drew and Oliver are doing extremely well, and they'll be home in the next couple of days or so. Thank you so much. I also wanted to say this. You know, with, uh, with Jen not being up here, um, can you, can we just give another, uh, just thanking God and thank God for these guys who do this every week. What a great job they did this morning. I really do. We are, we have so many gifted and talented people here at Grace Chapel in the music, in the area of music, and we just keep adding people, uh, to our, to our ministry. And so, uh, let's make sure I want to encourage you though, over the next couple of months, as we look for a, a full-time or part-time worship pastor, uh, to take Jen's place. Uh, we're going to have to uh, really worship as a body. I mean, these guys can lead us, but we're going to have to worship together as a body. So if you're, if you're more laid back and don't sing as loud or whatever else, make a joyful noise. That, that day is done. You need to sing loud, okay? We're all in this together for the next few months. They do a phenomenal job, but it would really encourage them if we made sure that we, as the body of Christ, really participated with all of our hearts uh, in worship uh, through this process. So... Uh, another update that I'd like to give you is John Leslie. John Leslie and Megan Leslie. John's here. John's going to come up and share. A few weeks ago, we talked about, we kind of gave you an update of John uh, stepping out with Megan and starting a new work. And uh, he didn't give you all the details. And so we wanted to have John come back and for a few minutes just share the details of, of where they are right now, what's been happening uh, in, in uh, Mosaic. Um, and also, after that, we'd like to kind of commission John through prayer, have John sit here with Megan, we'll pray for them, spend some time in prayer, and then after this service, after the second service, we're going to have a little time of celebration out in the foyer. We have some cake out there, spend some time just uh, thanking John and Megan for the time that they invested here at Grace Chapel. So uh, that's kind of what it looks like, so I'm going to have John come and spend some time just sharing what God's been doing uh, through the church. Thank you very much. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to say when you see Chris Cox a little bit later that I was dressed first and I was bald first. So just want to make sure you know that, okay? Um, well, like Jeff said, it was a few weeks ago that I kind of poured my heart out and shared with you what God was doing in our life and calling us to this next step, this next progression um, for us as God called us to start this new work. And at that time, that's about what we knew. In the last few weeks, a lot has developed. A lot of the things that we've been praying through and thinking about have come to fruition or the beginning of that. And so you can see here we have a name that I didn't have that last time we, we shared, uh, Mosaic Gospel Community. And those words were all chosen carefully and, and, and for specific reasons. I love the imagery of a mosaic, a bunch of pieces coming together that maybe by themselves would not um, have the same significance as when they are combined together to form part of a picture or, or a mosaic. And that's kind of the idea of the body of Christ, that each part of the body of Christ is separate but necessary. But when we give of ourselves for the good of something that's greater than ourselves, 
um, that there's really something special that happens there, and there's something powerful that happens in, in the body of Christ, the way God has designed it. And so mosaic is really imagery for that. And also, I just wanted to say, as I share with passion some of these things that we feel called to do and, and how we feel called to set up Mosaic Gospel Community, that in no way are we comparing and contrasting to where we are. This is just our next step. This is where God has called us. And so please, you know, just hear the vision that God has given us for this and in no way um, reflect, compare, and contrast to Grace Chapel because a lot of these things that I'll share are what the church is here and the church around the world. Um, but specifically, God's given us some unique things. The second thing is just... Um, using gospel in our name. The gospel is not unique to us in any way. Um, the gospel, gospel goes back 2,000 years. But why we chose to put it in our name was because we really wanted to be a gospel-centered community. The gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then that truth should permeate all that we are and everything that we do. And so we want to really focus on um, what that looks like as a community of believers spur one another on to what that responding to that truth looks like give of ourselves for the good of others as we see in Christ's example jesus said that he came not only to die for our sins and to provide the gospel in that way but to heal the brokenhearted to bind up the brokenhearted the scripture says to set the captives free to give sight to the blind and so our community also wants to be about that in terms of meeting people's needs um, and so the word gospel was specifically chosen for that reason, to be a gospel-centered community. Community is that last word. Community, um, over the, f the years, that whenever I would speak here, if I had my choice, I kind of gravitated toward speaking about biblical community because it's been so much um, of an impact in my life to grow in the context of community. You see, again, as, th as the gospel was, was birthed here um, on earth 2,000 years ago, that it was done so in community. The Christian faith has always been a communal faith, and so we wanted that word intentionally as part of who we are as well, understanding that this will be a community um, whose desire it is, is to bring glory to God by giving of ourselves um, in every way that we are led to do so. So Mosaic Gospel Community, that's we, who we are. That's our name. A vision is a, is a statement that gives you a picture of the future of Mosaic Gospel Community. And our vision is to be a unified community of Christ followers, giving freely of ourselves for God's glory and the good of others. And a lot of organizations, a lot of churches have a well-crafted statement similar to that. And so those words were all chosen very carefully. But what I want to tell you next, and what I want to do for you next, is give you a, a more clear picture of what is what God is already doing as he has called people to be partnered with us already, and as we're starting to live out the vision that he has given us just in these few short weeks. We've been meeting um, in homes over the last couple of weeks on Sunday afternoons. It's been a great time uh, of fellowship and prayer and worship together, um, and after one of our meetings in the last couple of weeks, um, John and Sydney Wallace, who have been coming, they have some friends of, who, like them, have adopted a lot of children, and specifically children with special needs. That family's name is the Ingalls family. And so they, the Ingalls family have most recently adopted two children from Haiti right after the earthquake. And they were both special needs with great medical needs. So John Wallace emails me as the new lead pastor of Mosaic, just days old, um, tens of people. And he says, what could Mosaic do? What could Mosaic do? And I thought, well, I have no idea. We're just this little baby church right now. And then the vision came back to me that we're going to be a community giving of ourselves for God's glory and the good of others. And immediately I thought, either we do that from the beginning 
or we might as well just stop. This is who we are. This is who we will always strive to be. It was like a, a leadership moment. I felt like I could teach a class on the importance of having a strong vision um, because it defines who you are and it defines what opportunities you can take. And so I said, absolutely. And so Megan and myself, we made a meal that day, um, and we put the word out to our little mosaic community that God is adding to. And right away, people started saying what they could do and that they would provide some meals for this family. Well, one person, Craig Avon, said, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to make a meal, but I would deliver one. I would run a meal from someone's house down to Montgomery where this family lives. And so, um, sure enough, another family said, I don't have time to run it, um, but I can make a meal. And so we matched those two things up, and Craig took the meal to this house. When I took the meal and, and when he went, we both kind of had a similar experience in the sense you're just compelled by the love that this family has, where they're giving of themselves, essentially, for the vision that God has given them to care for these children. And it's such a um, beautiful picture of what love really is. And, and it was also like this um, chaotic peace, like all this noise and all this stuff happening, but there was such a peaceful feeling inside this home, such a feeling of love. And so it was really compelling to me. And I think for the same reasons Craig felt, the Holy Spirit starting to speak to him. And, and he said, you know, would you, would you mind if I went and got my keyboard that happened to be in his car, and if I brought it in and just sang um, with your kids and, you know, bring some worship and some joy into the situation today? And, of course, they were willing. So he dragged his keyboard in and started playing. And one of the little babies from Haiti who has significant special needs um, was crying and fussing, and they just really couldn't do much to calm, her, um, calm him down. And as soon as Craig started playing and singing, the baby was soothed and was calm. After a little while, Craig thought he was done, so he steps away from his keyboard, and the baby flared up again. Just, I don't know how many of you are parents, a lot of you in the room, but you know when you have like a colicky baby or just a baby you can't do anything for that to calm down? I mean, it's a miracle in and of itself to find something that works. And so this family was so appreciative of realizing that, realizing that maybe music would soothe this baby. So then he got back on the keyboard and played, and then he stepped away, and the baby started crying again. So he got back on it, ran to his car, got a couple of his CDs to give to them, realizing now this connection um, for them and music and this baby. Put the CD on and started playing, and then backed away but left the CD on, and the baby stayed calm and soothed. Well, then Craig sees the teenagers of this family and he, his heart says, well, who's kind of focusing on them right now with all these needs for these little ones? And so he goes up and starts talking to them. And he says, hey, would you guys like to go see a movie? Would you like to go hang out and just have some fun and kind of get out of the a house for a little bit? Of course, they were thrilled. They wanted to do that. And I love what Craig did next because this is the picture of the mosaic. Is he thought of another part of our body, Mark Urton, who shared a couple of weeks ago that he's also feeling led to be a part of this. And he thought of Mark and his love for students. And he's, he called Mark and said, hey, would you go with me? And so I tell that story so you get a picture, a tangible picture of what Mosaic Gospel Community really is striving to be, that the mosaic at work, all these different pieces of the body doing what they can, giving of themselves for God's glory and the good of others. So Mosaic Gospel Community, we are really excited. A couple of weeks ago was my, my uh, heart-wrenching kind of sharing with you the emotion of all that. But today, more than anything, it's excitement. It's gratefulness as well for Grace Chapel in 10 years. I was saying earlier that um, my family, this is the only community we've known, um, is Grace Chapel. Megan and I were married the first year Grace Chapel was in existence. All three of our children have been born in this community. So 
Um, trust me when I say how grateful we are for the love and support that we've had over the years from Grace Chapel and specifically the opportunity that Grace Chapel gave me to develop as a leader, to develop um, in ministry, to learn and to experience so many different things. And so I thank Jeff specifically for that um, and his family and the leadership here um, for giving me that opportunity. And, and we, it was always our desire to serve faithfully and to serve well here. And we really never anticipated this. And I read recently that a calling is something that kind of hits you or that discovers you, that you don't necessarily have to seek out your calling. And I feel like that's kind of what happened for us is that this call came to us um, in ways that we weren't necessarily ever anticipating, but are thankful for and are um, expecting God to do great things um, in our future, as he will here for Grace Chapel as well. And so if you want to keep track of us and just kind of keep updated with us, we do have a website up. It's www.mosaicgospelcommunity.org. Um, we're kind of like the church that you could come to if you can find us right now. That's our slogan because we've been meeting in homes, but we are quickly outgrowing that and just desiring a, for God to lead us to a place that we could be a little more consistently. Um, but for all those updates, mosaicgospelcommunity.org. And John's gonna John's gonna come sit right down here. John's gonna sit right down here in the front. And where's Megan? Megan's coming up. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> John and Megan are gonna come and sit front here, and we as a body are gonna come up, stand up. We're gonna come up, lay hands on them, lay the hands on the person in front of them who was, you know, touching them, kind of thing. We're, and Chris is going to uh, to kind of commission to a commissioning prayer for them as the body of Christ here at Grace Chapel. Morning in an hour is gonna be a miracle. Um, As you're going to your seats, if uh, you want to turn with me in First uh, John chapter three, it's going to be the word of God that we chew on this morning. Really get into it. And uh, I was excited earlier this week when Jeff contacted me and said, "I need you to preach Sunday. Uh, it looks like Jen's going to have the baby. I want to be a grandpa this weekend. Would you play this role so that I can play that role?" And I said, "I wouldn't want to reverse it." So sure. Uh, <laughs> Not really interested in that, so if these are my options, yes, I would love to preach. And I began to pray about what, as a church, we, myself included, we needed to digest this, this weekend. And I wanted to share something with you guys. You might not have gotten it. It's, it's Valentine's Day today. Um, if you haven't figured that out yet, then you're going to pay four times what flowers are supposed to cost today in order to make up that, um, that problem. But we have this day that we've created called Valentine's Day. That is this supposed opportunity for us to express our love for one another. And we get our significant others something, or maybe we get them nothing, and then we go to counseling. Um, because tomorrow morning there'll be cooler talk, there'll be Facebook statuses, there'll be tweets across the world of what he did for her, what she did for him, and all of this beautiful love relationship stuff. We're going to launch a movie on this weekend called Valentine's Day. Great title um, for Valentine's Day weekend. It's all about love. But here's the problem. That's not love. Like us buying stuff for each other could never express the fullness of what true love really is. Love's not a thing that you buy. 
It's not something that you bring in in a box and you put in front of someone and say, here, know my love. Because you can't put self-sacrifice in a box. You can't put the willingness to lay down your life in order that someone might be the fullness of who God created them to be in a present. That's love. That's true love. And this morning, what I'm hoping that we can do in, in the few minutes that we have together is to be able to ask some questions of ourselves. And these aren't questions that I just want to encourage you to ask during the service. I want to encourage you, you may want to grab pens out of, pew, or out of the seats. I say pews because I grew up in Church of Christ. My bad. Um, out of the seats. It's just in there. Um, out of the seats and, and turn your bulletin over or write it in your Bible because the questions that God gave me this week as I started to reflect on them, they're not questions that I do once and then I'm going to go away from. They're questions that I believe are going to guide us into consistent love relationships with God and with those around us. So the question of the morning is, how's your heart? Really, how's your heart this morning? The Greek word for heart is cardia. It's where we get cardiology, cardiac, the heart. The cardia actually means the either physical or spiritual center of. In the Greek writing of it, it was less about the brain being the center of all that was processing and the heart was the center. It was less emotion and more process with conscience, conviction. And so this morning I need you to know that as you're deciding where your heart is, it's not how you feel about Valentine's Day and whether or not he or she remembered. It's about your conscience, your spiritual centering on the love relationships that you have in your life. How are you with those? 11 years ago today, I had a 1998 Chevy Cavalier. It was white. I had just gotten it. I was all excited about it. I was specifically excited about it today because I had just cleaned it perfect. And I can remember driving around this little loop at Cincinnati Bible College in front of Rhine Hall where all the girls stayed. I got out of my car and I had to go in and everyone didn't have cell phones at that point. I can't believe that dates me, but it does. Um, so it's 11 years ago. I'm in college. I know you're like, you're not in junior high 11 years ago. No, I was in college. I know I look young. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. Um, <laughs> laugh with me. Um, so I, I go in to this dorm and I pick up this phone, touch the phone, dial my girlfriend's extension to a room. And I say, Hey, I'm here. Are you ready? And she says, I'll be out in a minute. So like 15 minutes later, um, this beautiful girl walks out of this dorm room. It's the same Bible college. Like you're like, they put the girls behind like lock and key. So she comes out of this big door that's like, she's allowed to emerge. And I look at her and honestly, I thought, Wow, that girl is hot. She is mind-blowing. Whose Valentine is that? Should I be thinking these thoughts? And then she walked over to me, and she's like, you're ready. And I'm like, what? You, you're with me? I get, what? I get to take you out for Valentine. Every time that my girlfriend Sarah would come up to me, I had the same response. Every time. How did I get you? You are leagues ahead of me. And every time she would walk out and I would see her, my response was, I want to love you. And I had told her that I loved her several times. But I knew what love really meant 
because I was a theology major at Cincinnati Bible College, so you have to know what love is um, because they teach you over and over. And so I knew that it wasn't this feeling, and I can remember in that moment thinking, I can't love you yet. We haven't had enough time together, but I would love you. I want to love you. I long to. So let's go on a date. And hopefully you'll stick around long enough for me to love you. And so we get in the car, and we're in downtown Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bible College. It's Cincinnati Christian University now. It's in Price Hill. We call it the ghetto. Um, with love. Because we lived there for a long time and all lost our radios out of our cars there. Um, and so we would go out and... Of course, Valentine's Day, there's no good restaurants in the city of Cincinnati, obviously. I have no idea why. But we have to drive all the way to Indianapolis. <sighs> Love her. Because they had a spaghetti factory. And in Cincinnati, we tore ours down to build a stadium for a team that wouldn't win. Um, <laughs> that's how we do things here. I, I'm a Bengals fan, but man, they're frustrating. Um, and... So we drive all the way to Indianapolis. We sit down at the spaghetti factory. I had never eaten at the spaghetti factory before. I'm from Kentucky. They gave me shoes when I came across the border. They didn't give me spaghetti Italian. What's that? Um, so we sat down and we're eating, and I'm looking at her and hearing her talk, and I'm thinking, I want to love you so much. Please let me get at this relationship to love you for the rest of our lives. And so 11 years later, she's my wife, and we have a kid, and we have another kid on the way because the perspective was for me, you are my one desire. I would put my life at your feet. And then the only reason that we're 11 years later having dated and now been married, the only reason we're there is because we hit this big wall in our relationship where I looked at it and said, uh-oh, I'm reading scripture. I got a problem. Because Psalm 27.4 says, there's one thing I desire that I seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I will gaze upon his beauty, that I will meditate in his temple. And I looked at that and I said, if someone unlocked my chest and said, heart, speak, what do you desire? It would say, Sarah, you know that feeling. Right now, it would probably, there's times I'm tempted, it would say, Sarah and Sonny and Brinkley, who's our daughter on the way, would say that. And I looked at that verse and I said, but whoa, yeah, that's not supposed to be that way. I'm supposed to love God as the one desire of my heart. The spiritual center of me should be him, not her. We have a problem because I really would die for her. I really would do anything for her. My finances, towards her. Free time, yep. Future, plans, life, dreaming it, uh-huh. I love her. And so I can remember in, before we even got engaged, going to God and saying, okay, God, you got to work this out for me. Your scripture says marriage is good. should be married if prompted to be married. We can't stay single in the New Testament. says be married. I looked at God and said, I can't stay single. But. I don't want anything but you to be the center of my heart and my desire. I want you to be my one desire. I want to chase you because I know that you'll be the one I'm with forever and ever for all of eternity. Can you, can you fix this for me? And in my study, his response was this to me. Love me more than her. Whatever you have experienced with her, whatever joy she has brought to you, it's because I gave her to you. So, if you'll chase me, if you'll set her as the bar, and you'll chase me ahead of her, 
we're not going to have any problems. And guess what? You'll love her more than you think you can love her by yourself. So chase me faster and harder than you chase your wife and you'll be satisfied. See, we've got a marriage problem in this country. It's because that truth isn't around enough. That if we could tell people ahead of time, okay, you guys like each other? You got that look? Oh, it's so cute. It's cuddly. How's your relationship with God? Get that right and get that ahead of this and you won't lose this. Get that with God behind this with each other. You'll lose each other. You will go separate ways. You won't be able to be able to deal with all of this stuff. You may have a, a, a relationship or a marriage, but you won't have love in it. It'll go like this. And a lot of people have the problem. They're sitting in churches now going, why didn't somebody tell me this earlier? And I say amen to that. Why didn't the church tell you that earlier? We're sorry. As the bride of Christ, we're sorry that we haven't been throwing it out even in a bigger megaphone. So if you've come into this church and you have been broken in a relationship, we're sorry. By the grace of God, we're sorry. But here's the truth. If we would center our relationships on the one thing that is God, then our love for everyone else would become more satisfying than any relationship we can put ahead of him. Let's jump into 1 John chapter 3. Let's start verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. There's a lot in this passage, and I want to break it down by giving you some questions for not only you to ask this morning, but also to take with you. Question number one that I think we need to ask based on a pursuit of making God our one desire and our pursuit of 1 John 3 saying that if we are truly have God abiding in us, this is our question. What idols are you worshiping? Question one, we have to ask it regularly. You may have to ask it daily. You may have to ask it twice a day. What idols are you worshiping? Because see where, where, where John goes in this passage is, this is love. That Jesus laid down his life for humanity. And so we should lay down our lives. If you have possessions, and you're not giving them when, someone, when you see someone who needs them, how does the love of God even dwell in you? Root of that, you're worshiping the stuff. You're laying your life down for something. That's a truth that Satan doesn't want us to know. We're all laying our lives down at the feet of something. The question is the what. Are you willing to lay it down at the feet of Jesus so that others may be filled with the glory of Christ? Or are we laying it down at the things around us so that when we're asked to be Jesus to someone, we can't because we're chained to it. We can't give it away because we, we don't know where the key went. I have idols. Last March, I actually 
went into uh, my house with my wife, and I looked at her, and I said, I'm not going to watch sports anymore. And she said, <laughs> where's my husband? I said, seriously, I can't watch this. I'm a UK basketball fan. Last year was awful for us. Us is like I'm part of it. Um, it was awful. I would watch a game and want to throw things, break things, and I really had a disdain for the coach. And I could see it changed my personality afterward because then I wanted to see like other experts evaluate it. And I could watch SportsCenter five times a day. I don't know if anyone can, you know, is preaching that gospel. Um, and I could get into my truck to drive to work and there's sports talk radio on and I'm listening to everything. And I could sit down in a conversation. Somebody would say, do you hear about so-and-so? And I could be like, yeah, duh, 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 duh. I don't even like that team, but I know that information. That scares me. I don't like that because that's probably something that can be used for the kingdom of God. Is watching sports wrong? No. It's not a sin. It's not something that God says, you are now condemned because you watch UK basketball. I mean, if you watch Duke, you're not going to heaven. But, uh, <laughs> but if you're a Duke fan, I'm sorry. Not for the comment. Um, yes, I am. Um, and so it's, it's not a sin to watch. The sin is to be obsessed with it, to make it an idol, to make it take up all the time. So I had to start fasting from sports. And I went from March <clears throat> until October without watching one. I didn't see one game. I didn't see a clip of a game. I didn't hear one sports talk radio guy. I didn't watch Sports Center once. I would go to work out and I would take my iPod and put a podcast on, put my headphones in, and find places that weren't showing all of the, the sports center that shows about 300 times a day um, that, were, that wasn't on. I'm like totally saying I'm committed to this. And my rule was I'll break it when UK makes it to the, back to the NCAA tournament or the Bengals make the playoffs or my Yankees win a World Series. They're mine. Steinbrenners don't know that, but they're mine. Um, and those, those were the three things. So, you know, Yankees came first. Woohoo! Um, and so I got back into it as, a, as free to watch sports. And what I found then was that, oh, this is cool. I kind of like watching this game. All these people that just keep talking this stuff to death drive me crazy. I've got more important things to be about. Like, it changed me, but I needed to step away from it in order to see the change that I really needed. When I started, I just thought, this is dumb. So I'm watching SportsCenter five times a day, and I'm getting angry, and that is a sin. Um, when I keep throwing stuff after UK plays basketball, i got to stop that. My goal was to stop sinning. What God showed me was that he had more important things for me to be about when I was wasting my time. So what are you worshiping? What are the idols in your life? Maybe it's sports. I don't know. Maybe it's your kids. Don't go there. Maybe you are running ragged to keep them on the pedestal who they need to be, who you think they need to be. Maybe their success is more important to you than anything. Your finances dictate it. Your lifestyle does. The bags under your eyes illustrate it daily. Here's the truth. You put them ahead of your one desire, you make them an idol, you hurt them for life. You damage them. It's that way with everything that we have. I love the story in 2 Kings 18 where Hezekiah has just become king. 
He's 25 years old. This 25-year-old man walks in as the king of Judah. He sees all these idols that are built around from all of the, the gods of the world. And as soon as he becomes king, he says, burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it. We worship God, Yahweh God. Burn all that stuff. Let's get back in the temple. And then he walks into the temple, and this is the bold move. This is, I love this part of the story. It gets overlooked so much, even if you may not have even heard of Hezekiah. But he walks into the temple, and he grabs a bronze statue, a staff with a serpent on the top of it, and he says, and this we're burning too. Big reason that was a statement was because that was Moses' rod that God had told him to build in order to heal the nation of Israel when they're in the wilderness And they had started to cry out and said, God, we don't want to eat this manna anymore. We're tired of the food that you're sending us. This is junk. Please send us some burritos or something because we are sick of the manna. And God's response was, I'm sustaining your life. You need to be put back into perspective with me. So he sends these snakes into the nation of Israel. And the snakes start biting people. And they start getting sick with this poison that's in their body because that was the only thing that was going to shock them back to, did we really question the creator of the earth who is sending us food from heaven every day and we're not satisfied with what the food is? And so they looked at it and they thought, oh, we're dying from the poison. We're satisfied with the manna. Please, God, heal us now. And so God went to Moses and said, Moses, construct this rod with a serpent on top of it, put it in bronze, and when people who are willing to repent and to surrender to me, come and look at that pole and say, I'm sorry, and ask for forgiveness, they'll be healed. And they were. And so like any cool church spirit moment, we put the thing on a pedestal and put it in the temple, and people start burning incense to the thing. I love this illustration because idol worship doesn't just happen out there. It happens in here, and Hezekiah realized it. Our music, our methods of teaching, what our small groups have to look like. We begin to worship either the leaders of the groups, the songs that we sing, the type of music that it is, all these things inside the church. And we put them up on the pedestal and we make them the idol. So when you're asking the question, don't just think outside of church, also think inside of the church. Those aren't statements about Grace Chapel. Those are statements about history and church. That's our tendency to take whatever it is that God blesses us with and put it higher than God. So if we want to have a right heart, let's ask the question, what are the idols that I am worshiping? Because if you start there, then you'll start to find where you can find freedom. The second question that we need to ask is, to whom am I showing pity? Who am I surrendering my life for who am i serving who am i turning my life over to in order to say you can have all my stuff if it helps you get out of whatever you're in it's that first john 3 passage if we have possessions and we see someone and don't take pity on them do we have the love of god in us so here's the question do you have the love of god in you do are you showing pity By asking that question, you can start to look and and don't just start writing down five names that make you feel good. To show pity means who am I investing in? Who is down and I'm helping them up? Who, if I let go, would fall? Who am I the last shot at for the gospel right now that I know of? Sure, God can do all things, but who, 
who directly is in front of me? And if the answer is no one, there's reasons for that. You've got to seek that out with God. So because God's given you no one, I doubt it. When the Great Commission is therefore go into all nations, when we're told in the New Testament that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves, I doubt that there's ever going to be a lack of who. It's probably going to refer back to one. My chain doesn't reach that far from my idol. Or I'm so engrossed in religion, in life, in general, I don't even know that there are people who need help around me. I work 80 hours a week. I come home. I minister to my family. I go to sleep. I pay the bills. I wake up. I go to work. And it's a cycle. Maybe that's your cycle. But you go in a day after day and you, got bl- you have to have blinders on. You feel like there's blinders on because you, go in, you, you don't even have time, capacity to notice the people around you. Or maybe your list is full and this is a morning where you're just praising God. Wow. I have the, I have the Spirit of God in me because here's people that I'm giving pity to. And I want you to know, it doesn't mean sell your houses necessarily or sell your cars and walk to work or sled through the snow. It can be simple things. My wife and daughter illustrated this to me a few weeks ago. They were on their way to my daughter's gymnastics class. She's three. She loves this class. And on the way there, Sarah had on the way out the door just grabbed a box of Cheerios because as parents, you know, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I should eat something today. And you're going out the door with the kid and making sure you got all this stuff. And so she's driving and she's just eating a few Cheerios um, on her way to gymnastics and they get off the exit to go um, and there's someone standing on that exit. There's a lot right now. It seems very saturated um, in our economy with people just on the sides of exit ramps with signs. Homeless, no food, no money, no anything. And Sarah and I had made a decision when we had started dating. If we have it in our car, we give it. It's one of the things that I fell in love with her so madly when we were dating that there were people standing on the road and she went and bought like enough to feed an army one day and just kind of sat it next to them. And I'm like, I love that woman. And we had made that decision. So she's pulling up next to this person and we, we, we kind of have blinders on us as far as we don't know if 20 other people have helped them. We don't care. We're here. Do we have anything? Well, she got there, and she had no cash, no change, no nothing in the car. So she's looking around like, I have nothing. So she rolls down her window and looks at the guy and says, I don't have any money for you. I want to give you what I have, though. I have a half-eaten box of Cheerios. Does that help? And he said, anything helps. So out the window go a half-eaten box of Honey Nut Cheerios. And he says, God bless you and thank you. And so Sarah starts to roll up the window, and she hears Sonny crying in the back seat. Mommy, those are your favorites. You love those. Why is that man taking them from you? Like she's thinking she's, Sarah's getting held up for Cheerios. And so Sarah's like, you know, and she talks her through. Here's why we give, and you know we do that. And so she says, yeah, I know, but we have to get you some more Cheerios because they're your favorites. She's so worried about her mommy. And Sarah said, no, don't worry about that. I'm full. He doesn't get to eat, so we'll give them, and then we're just going to go to gymnastics now. It's okay, Sonny. And Sonny's response was, well, Mommy, don't you think then if he didn't have anything and all he has is a box of Cheerios, shouldn't we stop and pray for him now? And I'm like, that's the kingdom of God right there, is that someone is convicted by what the gospel story is, is that when I have it, I give it. 
And you may not be the one who grows spiritually the most, but because there's a three-year-old in the back seat, the three-year-old then says, shouldn't we pray? Because she is a domino effect from an initiation that just had to do with a small box of Cheerios. So when you're asking the question of who am I having pity on, it doesn't mean who am I giving up everything and moving into a mission field. God calls you to do that. If he lays that on your heart, do it. If not, just give away your Cheerios. Just be willing to go that far. Question three is this. I won't dive into this too deeply. Who do you go to when you're desperate? Sarah and I have some friends. We, we scratch our heads continually because they're married. And when they have a fight, she calls his mom. And I'm like, that's not going to work. <laughs> when she's desperate, his mom is who she goes to. Who do you go to? Friend, significant other, kids, family members, even pastor. Pastor, wrong answer. Should be second or third. Number one has to be God. You have to fall on your knees to God to illustrate that you are depending on Him first then if he channels you to your pastor or to your husband or wife or to a friend and a mentor, that's great. But Dr. Phil and Oprah can't fix us. They can't. Neither can Dr. Oz, even though he's crazy. They can't. God can, though. He's got what it takes. So let's go to him first. But we have to ask the question. We have to do a reality check, check our hearts. Who, who do I go to when I'm desperate? Hezekiah learned that. The Assyrians had destroyed Israel. Judah was left. They were coming after Judah. They took all the encampments out on the, ex, on the outsides of Judah. The Assyrians then came and said, uh, to him and said they were going to take him. Hezekiah looked at the king of Assyria and said, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. How much does it cost? How much can I buy you off for so you'll leave us alone? He gives him a number and Hezekiah goes back in, rips all the gold and silver off the temple, off the temple of God of Yahweh God, rips all of the gold off, puts it in a bag, and sends it to this king. When he was desperate, he went to his enemy. When you're desperate, sometimes do you go to your enemy? His enemy was relentless, though. He came back, and his enemy said, we're going to take you out now. You think your God's going to save you? You just paid me off with the gold and silver from your God's temple. You think he's really going to protect people who desecrate him like that? And Hezekiah's eyes opened, and he thought, wow. And in 2 Kings, it illustrates that he tore his robe in repentance and went into the temple and put it before the Lord and said, God, save us. And here's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus Christ. At the end of that passage in 1 John, it says in 19, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and know we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Here's the cool thing. God saved Judah from the Assyrians because Hezekiah, even though he didn't make the right choice once, he came back on his knees and said, I still, I want you, I trust you, I am desperate for you now. And we have a God who says, if you're desperate for me now, Get up, let's run. 
Let's go together because these questions may cause your heart to condemn you that you may think, I'm not a good enough Christian. That's not the point. The point is to see, is to ask the question, is God my one desire? Because if God's not my one desire, I got to get him back up there. And how do I get him back up there? I work toward the commandments. I work toward truth, but I work toward it filled with grace. And that's an amazing God. He knows every time that you will not be filled with his spirit. And he says, don't let your heart condemn you. I've already conquered that. Get up now. Get back in the story. Put me back as your one desire. There's enough grace for you. So here's the challenge this week. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Find some time to be still and know that God is God and ask him those questions and ask him for authentic answers because the greatest loss of your life would be as God as your second or third desire. The greatest gain for you and your family and the world is if God becomes the desire of your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to come to you and give you praise and pray for just moments this week where we can be still and know you and ask these tough questions of our hearts and live in the grace that you have called us to and that we would rise from the ashes of our old lives and that we would succeed in building your kingdom. And I pray that your presence would be heavy in our lives this week as you illustrate to us what our idols are, as you illustrate to us who we can be your hands and feet to, and as you can become the one that we are desperate for. And the one that in the darkest moments we seek your face first. Become our one desire, God. I pray that we would seek your face. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Remember that there's a, uh, a session or a, uh, a celebration right afterward for my older twin.